0: Today I will be talking about uh, infectious complications of the primary immunodeficiencies and the reason why I chose this topic is because uh, primary immunodeficiencies are mostly diagnosed in the pediatric age group that we do not routinely uh, get exposed to or come across. Some, some of these patients do present later in their adult life and at that point in the setting of recurrent infections. A lot of times it comes to the infectious disease physician to bring all the pieces together and that finally leads to the diagnosis. So just wanted to briefly touch on most of the primary immunodeficiency. It's a pretty vast topic, so I tried my best to summarize uh, as much as I could. So uh, let's start. So uh, primary immunodeficiencies include a variety of disorders uh, that render patients more susceptible to infection and Lot of these patients, if they are not diagnosed on time, or if they are left untreated, these infection may even be fatal. Uh, These disorders are are considered to be relatively uncommon. Uh, So far in US, about 500,000 cases have been reported, out of which uh, 50,000 are usually diagnosed on an average each year. Most of these disorders, like I said, presents in childhood, However, they can even manifest later in life. Some, for example, CVID, the common variable immunodeficiency disorder that uh, presents or that can be can manifest in uh, 20s, early 20s, or uh, even in late 20s or around 30. So these are the patients that we as adult infectious disease specialists uh, can come across men and women are known to be affected equally. So I would like to first, uh, most of this stuff like most uh, most likely everyone knows, but I just wanted to quickly review the basics. So back to basics, T cell mediated immunity, which is the cellular immunity, as we know limits the intracellular infections. For patients who uh, have a defect of T cell immunity, they are more prone to viral infections, infection, fungal infection, parasites and even mycobacterium. B cell mediated immunity, which is the humoral uh, humoral immunity. If there is a defect uh, with the humoral immunity antibodies production is compromised and that can lead to spread of extracellular pathogen and certain bloodstream infection. The one thing that uh, need uh, needs reminder is uh, we need to make sure we keep in mind the core dependence of both the cellular and humoral immunity on each other so if the b cell or the humoral immunity defect is uh, identified which is also a type of antigen presenting cell and uh, is known to activate t cells so uh, clearly if b cell uh, immunity is compromised it can also compromise the cellular immunity or the t cell mediated immunity and vice versa so when we see defect in either c- cell type it is uh, known and we have to keep in mind that it has a potential to affect the other uh, line of immunity as well whether it is cellular or humoral and uh, depending on what kind of deficiency it is the kind of infection varies too so the major subgroups of primary immunodeficiencies that i would be i will be reviewing today includes the disorder of Humoral immunity, which affects the B cell differentiation or antibody production. Uh, T cell defects along with the combined B cell and T cell defects. Phagocytic disorders complement deficiencies and then there are are a couple of deficiencies or disorders that I have included under the miscellaneous uh, subgroup. So uh, first we are going to review disorders of humoral immunity. So uh, As we know, if there is a defect in the humoral immunity, it uh, is secondary to either there is a uh, a defect with the differentiation of the B-cell or there may be a complete antibody production defect. Uh, There are three different disorders that uh, collectively uh, account for about 50% of these B-cell or humoral immunity defects, which includes the CVID, which is Common Variable Immunodeficiency, selective IgA deficiency and Bruton's or X-linked uh, A-gamma globulinemia. Usually these patients, they present early in life, often present around six months of age when the maternal antibodies are lost. And the characteristic feature is they present with the recurrent bacterial infections, sinus infections, pulmonary in- infections, and mostly it is caused by encapsulated organisms. So before I go into the details of each of these uh, defects, I would like to review a case here. This was a case that was published in American Society of Hematology. Uh, so let's uh, go through it. A 46-year-old male who is a contractor by uh, occupation, active smoker, presents the shortness of breath, productive cough, and fever. Past history includes a prior history of acute immune hemolytic anemia with consequent thrombosis and splenic infarct, which ended up requiring a splenectomy. And steroids were given in the past for AIHA. On this admission, because of the the presenting complaints, a CT chest was done, which demonstrated large consolidation with posterior empyema. You can see it on the imaging on the right that there is a pretty dense lobar consolidation that we can see, and uh, there is also some empyma uh, there. The collection was drained, complicated by collapsed lung, which uh, but he recovered later. From the fluid culture uh, that was drained, strep pneumonia was cultured, and then the patient was treated with ceftriaxone. After that, he was discharged home. Uh, six months later, he had a second bacterial pneumonia, and because of the history of recurrent infections, immunoglobins were measured. There were low level of serum immunoglobins, uh, which included uh, G- IgG, IgA, IgM, all of them were low. Uh, he had no uh, protective titers of antibodies to any vaccines, which was again figured out on the second uh, presentation. So at this point, I would like to stop and uh, know your thoughts. I'm not looking for uh, differentials. I'm just uh, trying to, there are certain buzzwords here uh, when it comes to the kind of clinical presentation this patient had. So just wanted to know your thoughts, what kind of primary immunodeficiency can it be? Anyone? Uh, is it common uh, yeah, Common variable immunodeficiency? Yes, perfect. Yes, so it is it is common variable immunodeficiency so we're going to talk about it and there were certain like buzzwords here that uh, we uh, that can be a clue and then we can uh, that can help us with the diagnosis. So common variable immunodeficiency, it is characterized by defective antibody protection. The point to note is that all the IgG levels are uh, decreased uh, and it's not selective uh, defect with antibody or like the B cell differentiation or selective antibody production defect, all the immunoglobulins are low. This is the most commonly diagnosed disorder. Uh, However, the incidence is not the highest, so it's most commonly diagnosed, but the incidence is about one case per 10,000 to 50,000 people. Onset is usually more than two years of age, but can be even later in life, uh, somewhere in uh, the 20s. When it comes to the mechanism, so you can look in the on the right side in the picture. I don't know if you can see my cursor. Can you see my cursor? Uh, I'm not sure. So anyway, so uh, with these people, usually there is a defect of the tall-like receptor, the TLR7 and 9, that uh, finally leads into impaired plasma cell differentiation. And then the impaired plasma cell differentiation leads to impaired B cell maturation and overall antibody production is defective. Since there is codependence, there is uh, these patients also tend to have decreased T cell differentiation as well. So that's how we uh, we have to make sure that both the B cell and T cell lines are uh, affected. There are two different kinds of uh, CVID though. There is uh, one of them is severe, which is the group one. And there is not much to offer to these patients. There is no rescue therapy that we can offer. With group two, uh, there have been some studies where they have given uh, interferon alpha and that uh, is known to help with the B cell differentiation. So uh, that is one thing that we can offer. When when it comes to CVID, there are three buzzwords that gives us uh, an idea how to come to the diagnosis. So there is a markedly reduced serum concentration of all immunoglobins point 1 then point 2 is these patients are known to have a very poor or even absent antibody response to immunization or any sort of infection and then point 3 is like we have to make sure there is no other underlying immunodeficiency state lab findings are suggestive of hypogammaglobulinemia uh, so this is just like another picture. So on the left, uh, this is the uh, mechanism or the immune response in a healthy person compared to on the right, uh, the immune response in a patient with CVID. So when there is any microbial organism uh, exposure, since there is IgA deficiency deficiency, there is reduced control of the commensals, which quickly leads to uh, translocation through the uh, uh, disruptive gut barrier or uh, defective uh, mucous membrane or like defective immunoglobulin uh, response. So which leads to microbial translocation in these patients. And further, uh, since all the immunoglobulins are decreased, uh, these patients do not have a ideal immune response to the microbial translocation and eventually uh, come in very quickly with uh, systemic Systemic bacteremias and systemic infections. Uh, the other uh, uh, humoral defect that I wanted to uh, review is selective IgA deficiency. So for these patients, the defect is in the plasma cell differ- differentiation, and that's why they end up having a selective, selectively decrease in the IgA production. For these patients, this is the this is known to have selective IgA deficiency is known to have the highest incidence. There, there is one case per 300 to 700 persons reported, and the onset is usually uh, uh, later compared to CVID, more than at more than four years of age. Often, these patients they remain asymptomatic, and that's why we said that most commonly diagnosed disorder is CVID and not selective Ig deficiency, because most of the patients are either asymptomatic and remain undiagnosed for a large part of their life, or maybe or throughout their life. Symptoms include sinusitis, respiratory infections, GI infections, uh, everything related to the muc- uh, mucosal uh, barrier. Uh, complications, obviously these patients are more prone to allergies and they can even develop autoimmune diseases. And on the lab findings, we find serum IgA levels which are low. Uh, the other IgG levels or IgM le- level, other immunoglobin levels, they are in normal range. Uh, The point to remember here is in contrast to patients with CVID patients with IGA deficiency have normal IGA response to vaccinations. and I'm going to review the vaccination guidelines later so that is uh, something that we if we know about this then we can just like go ahead and give them vaccinations uh, just like any other uh, adult. The third uh, humoral defect I want to review is the Bruton's X-linked A-gamma globulinemia so this is the uh, this in these patients there is an absence of the bruton tyrosine kinase gene uh, as you can see in the picture there is a red box here that's where uh, the if the, with the defect that's where the b cell development arrests and the pre b cell cannot mature further so uh, incidence is not determined and usually the onset is early in the first year of age symptoms include recurrent bacterial infection Uh, And again, like the serum immunoglobulins are markedly deficient or even totally absent for these patients. Uh, We have to make sure to ask for like family history in these patients. If we ever come across them, Uh, mostly these patients are uh, diagnosed early in their age, so uh, that is uh, less likely, but usually family history is the clue here uh, that. That that differentiates it from other humoral defects. So in this table, everything is uh, everything is just uh, compiled here. Just uh, the couple of things that needs to be remembered is that in humoral defects, uh, hemophilus influenzae uh, is more common among the encapsulated bacteria uh, to cause the infection, since like most of these patients are in the pediatric age group. Uh, Among the parasites, Giardia is another one that uh, is a characteristic one uh, to cause the infection in these patients. Okay, so now we're going to talk about T cell defects and combined B cell T cell defects. So uh, T cell defects uh, is characterized by disruption of the cellular immune response. This is a, this is, these uh, defects are known to have more severe manifestations compared to antibody deficiencies and affected patients. Again, they present early in life with failure to thrive and even they can have disseminated infection. DiGeorge syndrome is one of the most recognized disorders uh, out of all the other T cell defects. So on the table on the right, it uh, summarizes all the T cell defects that we're going to talk about. Uh, the first one is skid, the second one is djart, viscot, ataxia, talangectasia. So we're going to talk about all these thing, all these defects one by one. So f- before we do that, I want to review another case. So this is a case that was published in a Pediatric Oncol Journal. It's an online platform to share uh, interesting uh, or unique cases. So a seven month old male infant born of non consanguineous marriage. Presence with recurrent oral ulcers, fever, along with failure to thrive since four months. On the examination, he had hypopigmented macular rash over neck and perianal region. Uh, You can see it in the picture on your right. That's how the rash looked. And tonsils were absent. He also had hipparospanamagalli. Recently, he was also hospitalized uh, uh, for pneumonia about 15 days back. Postnatal history was pretty uh, benign he was a full term, normal vaginal delivery and birth weight was 3.1 kilogram. Family history was also pretty unremarkable. He had two elder uh, sisters who were completely asymptomatic and uh, immunization history was again unremarkable. He was immunized till date and milestones were normal. On the CBC, hemoglobin was low. It was 9.2. Leukocyte count was elevated to 15,000 uh, with polymorph predominant. Um, and he also had a, a lymphopenia of 2400. Renal function, liver function was normal. Urine culture had candida albicans. And on the X-ray chest, uh, there was no thymic shadow. So on the right, I just uh, used a picture here. Uh, comparing the normal x-ray finding with a uh, patient with no thymic shadow so at this point i would just like to uh, take a break and uh, i would like to know if anyone has any thoughts on what what can this be or anything anything at all like what do you think i was thinking like an x-linked um Ugh, That. So, so this is the T cell defect, right? Uh, yeah, um, I think with absent thymus, could it be the George syndrome? That's that's a very good point. So, I mean, with the absent thymic shadow, uh, it's very reasonable to think about the George syndrome. The only differentiating point was like uh, he did not have like any fas- facial an- anomalies or any like cardiac anomalies and all those things. So, but that's a very good point. So this patient ended up having skin. So due to absent tonsils with recurrent infection and failure to thrive, he was suspected to be suffering from a primary immunodeficiency. deficiency. And at this point serum immunoglobulins were checked which were actually elevated. Uh, Then the T cell uh, CD panel was uh, checked. And uh, if you look at the numbers here on the downside, You can see that the CD3, CD4, CD8 uh, uh, T cells were all, uh, or markers were all decreased, or like uh, these, these are the markers of T cells. So basically the T cells were decreased. Then the CD19 and 20 markers were normal. So these are the B cells, basically. Uh, So B cell was normal. And then CD56 was low. CD16 was normal. So CD56 and CD16, I did not know about this before I finally uh, worked on this presentation, but these are the markers for uh, NK cell. So basically this patient also had like low NK cells. So finally the uh, diagnosis of low T cell, normal B cell and low NK cell, severe combined immunodeficiency SCID was made. And the SCID has different subgroups. Uh, different combination of the T, B, and NK cell uh, uh, like defects, but this uh, this is this particular one is like mostly it is it was suspected to be X-linked. Now, skate can be like uh, I just wanted to like go back a couple of slides. So in this table, you can see skid can be X-linked. It can also be like autosomal recessive. Uh, the clue here was this patient's uh, this. Uh, this was a non-consanguous marriage, and then they also said that the sisters were asymptomatic. So basically, if you think about it, it t- that's that's where we can make a guess that probably this is X-linked and did not manifest uh, in the in the sisters, uh, secondary to that. Okay, so uh, he was finally treated with intravenous leuconazole for the candida albicans, uh, 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 candida urea, and advice regarding bone marrow transplant. Uh, The other interesting point was that this patient had oral ulcers and skin rash with hepatosplenomegaly, and it was suspected to be a case of graft-versus-host disease due to engraftment of maternal T cells. So these kids, they are not able to uh, uh, fight the foreign cells, and uh, that's what the uh, response was. So, however, it could not be confirmed by HLA testing as parents who are not willing to get tested. So, let's review a couple of things about SCID. So, this is a more severe form of T-cell defect. And there are, this is, actually, it's a combined defect, profound deficiency of T-cell, and then B-cell function is also compromised. And sometimes even the NK-cell can be uh, function can be uh, defective too. 50% of the cases are excellent, and 50% are autosomal recessive, like we talked. And if you look on the right in this figure, you can see there are like certain mutations, the RAG1, RAG2, it's on the bottom, if you can see there. So RAG1, RAG2, these are the mutation in the genes and it causes the recombination deficiency and all that stuff. So on the top, just next to the pro-T cell, uh, the, the development is arrested at the pro T cell stage, and for the B cells, it can get arrested at pro B cell stage. So further uh, development of the B and T cells can get compromised in these patients. Again, there are different subgroups. It, uh, T cell is always uh, affected, but B cell and NK cell may or may not be affected, if uh, affected, depending on the kind of mutation they have. Uh, Incidence is about, it's pretty low, one case to 100,000, among 100,000 to 500,000 people. And onset is very early in the age, uh, like less than six months. As soon as the maternal antibodies wane off, that's when these patients start uh, manifesting symptoms. Lab findings are uh, consistent with severe lymphopenia. Again, the complication we have to be aware of is a lot of times they have rashes and Uh, organomegaly secondary to GVHD because they lack the ability to reject foreign tissue such as maternal T-cell that crosses the fetal circulation in utero. Symptoms uh, involve, uh, these patients are very prone to develop candidemia or uh, even mucocutaneous candidiasis or like with this kid, he had candiduria, uh, which is a very early finding. And then there are certain viral pathogens, most of the viral pathogens that are common in these patients, and they can be very frequently fatal. Uh, PJP is another one that we have to be aware of. Uh, The main thing uh, to uh, be cautious about is these patients should not be given live attenuated vaccines uh, since it can lead into fatal infection. They don't have T cells to fight it back. Uh, So this was a very interesting picture I came across when I was like going through uh, all the all the uh, defects. And this is this is a boy in the bubble on the left upper corner and his name is David Wetter. And he was born in 1971 with Skid. He got famous because of an experiment uh, that was done to keep him alive. He was placed in this uh, this bubble, uh, which is which was a germ free plastic bubble. Uh, and he was later on called as the bubble boy. And then he ended up living in this bubble for about uh, impressive 12 years. Finally, he passed away at the age of 13 in 1984. So you can see both these pictures. This is as a young kid on the top, and then the bottom picture, he has grown up uh, into a young boy here. So that's one thing. The other uh, T cell defect that I, uh, that uh, we need to talk about is Dijar syndrome which is caused by deletion in the chromosome 22. uh, And as we know that the symptoms include the catch 22 that uh, probably we remember it from our medical school. Uh, This happens because of the defect in the chromosome. Uh, There is an abnormal migration of uh, third fourth brachial approaches, which finally leads to hypoplasia, aplasia of the thymus and parathyroid glands. Uh, the symptoms include cardiac anomalies, uh, abnormal facies, thymic absence, so that was a very good point you brought up uh, before. Cleft palate, hypocalcemia, and uh, again, 22 is for the chromosome 22, so that's a, a good mnemonic to remember. A uh, Lot of time hypocalcemia can also manifest as seizure, so something to uh, just like as a, as a consequence, so something to keep in mind. On the lab findings, uh, there are reduced T cell count and hypocalcemia. These are like couple of interesting pictures. So uh, starting from the left top, that is a little kid with a cleft lip. Again, on the second picture, there is another kid with a cleft lip. On the right, on the top, there is a cleft palate that you can see. And on the bottom, I uh, brought up like a couple, couple of pictures with the heart defects. So these patients are more commonly, they have VSD, They can have tetralogy of phthalate and tr- truncus arteriosus. See, these are the cardiac defects. Uh, these patients are more prone to develop. Then the third T-cell defect uh, we, we are going to discuss is with Scott-Eldrich syndrome. This is an X-linked recessive disorder And there is a mutation in the WAS or uh, WAS viscott-Eldrich syndrome gene that encodes for for the viscott-Eldrich syndrome protein, WASP. So on the right, if you look here on this picture, that's a very busy picture. But like on the bottom, I try to uh, summarize uh, how the defect uh, impacts the B-cell and T-cell population. So in the patients with VASP absent, it, it actually impacts the formulation, formation of immunologic synapse. So where the T-cell should be, should bind the uh, antigen presenting cells, that synapse is defective in these patients. So the T-cell, basically the signaling pathway is defective. So T-cell does not get activated. And this later on also, it also affects the B-cell homeostasis as well, uh, due to the abnormality in T-cell. So for these patients, they usually have um, eczema, susceptibility to infection. The other problem with uh, these patients is that VASP is also, uh, it's also responsible for platelet dysfunction. So a lot of these patients have thrombocytopenia and they can these infants present with prolonged bleeding. So the prolonged bleeding along with infection, eczema, that should be the buzzword for Viscott Aldrich syndrome. Uh, on the lab finding, we see thrombocytopenia and small platelets on the peripheral smear, and they are at higher risk of autoimmune disease. So these are a couple of pictures here. So you can see the petechia. Because of thrombocytopenia, there is some eczematous changes. In the second picture, these patients have bacterial sign of pulmonary infection, and a lot of times they can also develop vasculitis. So uh, these are the pictures. Again, on the bottom there is another kid with eczematous changes on the leg and on the face. And on the right bottom there is a peripheral smear which shows small platelets. And then there are also some normal platelets. Okay. And the last thymal defect that I want to discuss is ataxia telangiectasia. I'm not going to go in the details for this one because it's a very rare. Neuro- neurodegenerative disorder. So it's autosomal recessive, as the name suggests. It's neurodegenerative. So basically, these patients have, with the with the ATM gene mutation, these patients have both the B cell and uh, and T cell defects, and there is basically there is no break on the cell cycle, and later on they are all they also develop malignant transformation because of that. So these patients have neurological sy- symptoms. They have difficulty in walking. They are wheelchair bound by the teenage years. So if any any patient in the caveat, if it's mentioned about uh, any sort of neurological symptoms plus infection, recurrent infection ataxia, telangiectasia should come to our mind. OK, so these are just like couple of other pictures uh, so you can on in picture A you can see uh, tiling, uh, ocular tilling In picture B, this is just like uh, some neurological defect with gait abnorm- anomalies and uh, foot drop. Uh, in picture C and D, there are some stroke or infarcted uh, regions that you can see. And in picture E, you can see again, like there is some uh, vasculitis changes, granulomatous changes actually, so on the skin that are more common in these patients. So this table again uh, summarizes everything for T cell defects and combined B cell T cell defects. Uh, Yeah. Okay, so anyone, any any questions so far? Anything anyone would like to say, or should I continue? All right. So the third subgroup I would like to review is the phagocytic defects. Now this is a very busy slide. I'm just going to talk about the intrinsic disorder. There are a lot of extrinsic factors that can lead to phagocytic defects like diabetes and uh, what, like immunoglo- autoimmune disorders and chronic spinomegaly, etc. But when it comes to intrinsic disorders, uh, there are two subtypes. So either these patients can have a, a phagocytic defect because of a problem with the respiratory burst. Or these patients can have a phagocytic defect because of uh, neutrophil cannot move to that place. There is a problem with the chemotaxis. So I'm going to review one disorder out of each. So you can see here there are five disorders uh, under the phagocytic killing defects. Out of those, chronic granulomatous disease is the common one that I'm going to review. And then with the chemotaxis defect, I'm going to review the leukocyte adhesion defect. I've also reviewed hyper-IG later. So before we go in the details, I would like to review a case. So this was a case that was published in uh, Frontiers in Immunology and uh, a full-term neonate with uneventful pregnancy, presence at birth with extensive papulopustular lesions on both hands and feet and with, uh, uh, with scattered papules with central vesicle on the body. No other abnormalities were seen. Family history was also uh, pretty uh, benign, except that his mother had Crohn's disease that was diagnosed at the age of 20 years, and currently she is on monoclonal antibody called vedolizumab. So this is how the lesions looked on the legs, uh, both the legs, and uh, it's also on the trunk. Now uh, the CBC was checked, which had a leukocytosis of 25,000, and there was also use of eosinophilia. Uh, both immunoglobins and uh, lymphocyte subsets, like uh, T cells, were checked. The, those were normal. The tumor, the tumor markers were also checked: alpha-fetoprotein, beta-Cg negative. Chromosomal analysis was done, which was um, uh, which was normal, and the blood levels of vedolizumab. Was checked six weeks after the birth, which was below the detection level. Cultures from the blood and from the skin lesions were negative. So at this point, empiric antibiotic therapy was initiated. However, uh, there were no significant effect on the leukocyte count, all or the elevated CRP that this patient had on initial labs, and there were no changes with the uh, the skin lesions either. A CT of the whole body was done. We showed some multiple uh, jagged edged cyst and axillary lymph nodes. You can see it in the picture. There are red arrows on the right top picture, and then this was further uh, followed by MRI of the whole body. We showed bulky soft tissue masses surrounding the abdominal iota and its branching along with the axillary lymph nodes that we saw in the fir- on the first uh, imaging. So at this point I would like to stop and see uh, if anyone has any thoughts here. And I can go back to the picture if you would like. And the uh, uh, B and the T cell markers are normal, uh, so it should be uh, like a phagocytic defect and with. Elevated eosinophilia, I don't know, maybe hyper IgE syndrome or something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. OK, so so what the next step that they did was they actually ended up. Uh, uh, doing a biopsy of the skin and lymph node, so the uh, so here you said like hyper IgE syndrome so they when they checked the immunoglobulins actually everything was in normal uh, in the normal range. So uh, but that's a very good point, especially with the eosinophilia. Uh, so when they did the biopsy, on the biopsy of the skin and lymph node, they found some granulomatous inflammation with eosinophilic infiltrates. And these granulomas were non-caseating. The, there were no atypical mycobacterium, to, uh, just to let you know. Um, and the other impre- uh, the important point was they also checked for a CD1 and Langarine expression, and that was absent. So that was another characteristic point here. These are the pictures of the uh, biopsy of the skin and lymph node, and on the right picture where you see the arrows that arrows are actually pointing at uh, giant cells like uh, multinucleated giant cells here. So additional immunological investigation was done basically We had ruled out the B cell uh, deficiencies because of this patient's immunoglobin levels were uh, normal, and T cell defect was also ruled out. Phagocytic defects were uh, such, uh, they were in the differential. So further testing revealed an abnormal function of any NADPH oxidase, which is the main defect with chronic granulomatous disease. So uh, eventually this patient ended up having a a mutation uh, known to have a mutation of CYBB gene, which conferred the diagnosis of X-linked chronic granulomatous disease. Further course was uh, the mutation was not found in the half brother. He was tested. Genetic testing of the mother was being planned. Uh, Several weeks later, this boy developed pulmonary granuloma due to probable invasive aspergillosis because aspergillus is infection are quite common with chronic granulomatous disease. And Eventually, he ended up having an allogenic hematopoietic stem cell transplant uh, at the age of four months without any major complication post-transplant because of the transplant. So uh, I'm going to just review the chronic granulomatous disease here. So this is a disorder of or defect of respiratory burst. This is the most frequently diagnosed phagocytic disorder. Uh, and males are uh, more affected than females. It's an excellent or it can be an autosomal recessive form too. Uh, There is deficiency of NADPH uh, oxidase in the phagocytes. So on the right, you can see in the picture. So when there is a defect in the NADPH oxidase, this particular uh, component is useful uh, or is required to develop uh, or, or, or form reactive oxygen species which is the main component of the respiratory burst. In the absence of NADPH oxidase, this ROS or uh, reactive oxygen species is not formed. And then it disrupts the whole phagocytic uh, response of the body to any kind of uh, pathogen. So with the defect in NADPH oxidase, uh, the elimination of extracellular pathogens is compromised in these patients. They are more susceptible to infection with catalase positive organisms such as staphylococci, and uh, that requires a phagocytic activity for clearance. And the main thing to remember is these patients are extremely uh, predisposed to aspergillus infection, and mostly it's the most common cause of death in these patients. Lab findings include CD4 T cell lymph- lymphocytopenia and when it comes to the B cell or the uh, immunoglobulin levels, it's actually elevated in these patients. Definite diagnosis is made by the neutrophil function assay. So the main things to remember for these patients, uh, and I think we did get a, a question on this in on the ITE also. Uh, so uh, nitro blue tetrazolium reduction test or the dry hydro (DHR) or NBT uh, test are the uh, uh, are the ideal tests to make the diagnosis. These are the tests that check for neutrophil function. Yeah. So this was like a very uh, a good case of a patient who had chronic granulomatous disease, and this is a little kid, and it's a case of disseminated mycobacterial infection. So from A to D in the pictures, there are like uh, scabbed lesions on uh, different body parts, and it had like this yellowish discharge. Uh, the the other thing was to note was that there was also a scap lesion for this patient, particularly at the site of BCG uh, administration, and that's they were suspecting in the case report that that's how the uh, if this patient ended up developing mycobacterial infection uh, because it was I think they were the diagnosis of CG was not made prior to that, uh, and then in the pictures on the bottom in E there is a large uh, peribronchial thickening and consolidation there on the f side there are some lymph nodes which are enlarged with necrotic areas in g and h there is osteomyelitis of the left humerus and left ankle that we can see all because of mycobacterial infection the other defect that i want to review is the defect of motility so leukocyte adhesion deficiencies they are characterized by defect of motility of the neutrophils so in the, on the right if you look at the picture here uh, there are leukocyte addition defect 1 2 and 3 which are depicted here with 1 the problem is with adhesion and with 2 rolling is the main problem with 3 activation is the uh, main defect so with 1 adhesion is the main problem however the when any infection is encountered in response to it, the uh, uh, body uh, produces more neutrophils. So these patients actually have very high levels of circulating neutrophils. However, because it cannot adhere, it's not able to, uh, these patients are not able to mount and a good response to the infection. Uh, so that's the one of the hallmark features, circulating high levels of neutrophils. The other hallmark is these patients are, because of inability to, uh, to uh, for the neutrophils to reach the site where the neutrophil uh, response is needed, these patients have delayed separation of the umbilical cord, they have rec- recurrent bacterial infection, and even poor wound healing. With uh, leukocyte, leukocyte addition defect type 2, uh, all these things happen, in addition to, they also might have abnormal faces and severe cognitive impairment. And with leukocyte addition type 3, this is the most severe form out of all. These patients are also in uh, more prone to bleeding disorders. So the diagnostic key here is the neutrophilia, that is more elevated counts of neutrophil. Uh, the, the diagnosis is made by flow cytometry. So there are CD8 and CD11 uh, markers on the neutrophil, which are integrin markers. And uh, on flow cytometry, we document absence of these functional markers. CD18 can still be uh, expressed on some of the neutrophils. So CD11 uh, marker absence is most important to uh, make this diagnosis. So uh, I'm just like summarizing everything here when it comes to phagocytic disorders for these patients, staph aureus, pseudomonas, and all these things are more common. Then there is a case four. So a 20 year old military trainee presents with fever, nausea, vomiting, headache. We started 30 hours before admission Uh, and this patient entered at military training center five weeks prior to the visit. Past history includes viral meningitis at the age of six years. Vitals were pretty stable except a, a temp of 38.5. On the right, you can see there are some pedicule rashes uh, on the uh, arms and hands. And patient was uh, also, uh, patient was normal uh, when it comes to uh, consciousness and orientation. There was positive neck stiffness, Kernig and Brudzinski sign that was uh, noted. Uh, CBC had leukocytosis of 27,000, hemoglobin was okay, platelet was also fine, blood chemistry was normal. A CSS study was clearly done because of the presentation, which uh, opening pressure was slightly raised to 29. Uh, Cell count was pre-elevated, it was 3,850. Glucose was kind of uh, on the normal or maybe lower side, uh, and protein level was elevated to 106. So uh, there was also a meningococcal antigen testing that was done on the CSF, which was negative. Gram stain of uh, of the CSF did not show any bacteria. So at this point, the, the main reason why I wanted to discuss this case was uh, depending, the first thing that came to our, probably everyone's mind was Neisseria meningitis infection. And that's what happened with this patient too. So the team who was taking care of this patient They actually started her on ceftriaxone, vancomycin initially due to suspected meningitis and meningococcal sepsis. Uh, On day two, uh, via Vitek, uh, the blood culture showed gram-negative diplococci and which eventually speciated to Neisseria meningitis by day four. So the one thing that I wanted to bring up was that sometimes like the CSF uh, meningococcal antigen can be negative because it's it, I think it checks for certain zero zero groups. Only uh, the zero group was confirmed for this patient to be W135. Uh, later on, so something to keep in mind. If our suspicion is high, we still have to like uh, keep this in our differential. CSF culture remained negative till the end, and the antibiotics were not uh, administered before the LP was done. So finally, the patient's fever became better from day three of the hospital admission and her other viral signs were stable. Therefore, only ceftriaxone was continued and mancomycin was stopped. And then she ended up completing that course. Uh, because of prior history of meningitis and then the, sec- the second one, complement deficiency was also suspected in this patient. Uh, Radioimmunosal was done, C3, C4 was normal. However, the total hemolytics complement CH50 was low for this patient. Individual late complement, component was also checked and among C5 to C9 only C7 C7 was very low for this patient. So uh, there was a complement deficiency that made her uh, uh, predisposed to meningococcal uh, sepsis or meningitis. Uh, She completed her ceftriaxone and quadrivalent uh, vaccine was given at the time of discharge. So just like quickly reviewing the complement deficiencies, complement deficiencies account for about about 2% of all the immunodeficiencies. On the right, you can see the classical lectin pathway and alternative pathway. So the main goal goal for all the pathways is uh, the terminal pathway or MAC activation. Uh, For classical pathway, antigen antibody uh, binding is the main uh, activator, for lectin pathway, it's a direct activation of the C3 convertase. And for alternative pathway, pathogen or damaged tissue is what uh, is the activator for the C3 convertase and finally leading to the MAC activation. Uh, Defect in classical pathway is the most common. However, the thing to remember is if anyone is having a presence with recurrent nausea or pneumococcal infection, defect in alternative pathway should be considered uh, in these patients. Uh, indication for screening when to suspect this defect uh, if anyone is presenting with recurrent pyogenic infection in the setting of normal WBC and normal immunoglobulin. And if the patient has recurrent nigeria infection at any age, so for this patient there were already this is the second, uh, second episode of uh, meningitis, although the prior one was suspected to be viral. And if if the multiple family members are known to have Neigeria infection. So these are the certain uh, conditions where we have to uh, bring complement deficiency into consideration. When it comes to diagnosis with classical pathway, the main thing to remember is CH50 is the assay that is uh, gives the diagnosis. For alternative it is AH50 and with Lactin pathway, there are deficiency of Lactin associated protease. I don't know how it's how much of that is going to be useful for us, but Uh, just to make sure that we remembered the basic test for these these, uh, couple of uh, complement deficiencies. Okay, so finally I would like to quickly review a couple of miscellaneous uh, uh, infections here. So uh, the first one, uh, which is an interesting one, is the interferon gamma receptor antibody. Uh, This is characterized by autoantibodies to interferon gamma receptor, which impairs the IL-212 defect or signaling and these patients are uh, predisposed to ntm infection because of this and these they can even present with like disseminated ntm infection there have been several case reports where it has been reported that this is more common in people coming from southeast asia so if anyone is coming from southeast asia and they have disseminated ntm infection and we can't figure out any other reason to have that they are not immunocompromised or whatnot. Uh, We should be thinking about interferon gamma receptor antibody. Uh, The other infection to remember when it comes to uh, these patients uh, are salmonella infections. They are more prone to herpes zoster reactivation and tyleromyces is another infection which is common in this particular patient population. The other one is job syndrome. This is the hyper Ig syndrome. And it's a syndrome which which is characterized by three different features. These patients have staphylococcal abscesses, cyanopulmonary infection, and severe eczema. So, staphylococcal abscesses is the main one. Uh, the main thing to remember here is these are cold abscesses. So, they don't have like typical finding of uh, hyper or, or sorry inflammatory syndrome. Uh, The interesting point when I was reading about it was like the the it's called the job syndrome based on the biblical character job and uh, there is like a verse that I quoted here from the uh, Bible that said that because like job the character had multiple boils uh, as per the prior stories so that's how this syndrome got its name. It's also called as type one hyper IgE syndrome and it's an autosomal dominant uh, uh, defect. So with these patients, uh, there is a Jak Stat pathway defect, and they have basically impaired T cell response and Ig synthesis uh, regulation defects. So T cells are low, uh, T helper cells are low, and Ig synthesis when it starts, it, these patients their their cell cycle uh, keeps going unregulated. So that's how the Ig level goes up. So they have elevated Ig plus low T helper cell level and then they have stat 3 defect. The other defect which is similar to job syndrome is dog 8 deficiency. This is called type 2 hyper Ig syndrome and most of the symptoms are uh, common. The only differences are with dog 8 defect. Uh, there are these patients are more prompt to fre- frequent URI, upper respiratory tract infections with eosinophilia. So that's the differentiating point. They don't have like lung abnormalities or. Fractures with minimal trauma and all those other uh, systemic uh, environment, uh, which is uh, more seen more commonly with the autosomal dominant uh, job syndrome. And this one is autosomal recessive, so these are two different type of hyper ig uh, syndromes. Then the other one is card 11 gain of function defect. Again, this is also very rare. Uh, it is characterized by uh, polyclonal uh, expansion of B cells, antibody response is impaired. Basically, the main thing to remember here is uh, these patients are more prone to pneumocystis pneumonia plus hypo globulinemia. So uh, something to uh, that should bring it to our uh, mind if we see this combination. And the last one I have is GATA2 deficiency. This is also called monomac syndrome. Why the name monomac? because the hallmark here is monocytopenia, so decreased uh, numbers of monocytes, plus MAC, that is disseminated NTM infection, so monomac. So monomac is GATA2 deficiency, so I think uh, that should ring a bell in our mind. Okay. so this just uh, summarizes all the lab findings that we look for in these patients. Uh, I already reviewed it with each of the defects and then finally when it comes to management. So uh, the management of these patients is very critical and complicated. It's a combination of these different things that we have to offer IVIG, bone marrow transplant. Some people are suggesting gene therapy, growth factors, antibodies and timely vaccination. I'm not going to go in the detail of each of them. The one thing that I wanted to remember, which can be of use to us being infectious disease specialists here is uh, uh, the vaccination guidelines for these patients. So quickly going through the vaccination guidelines. Uh, so this is these, this is the table that summarizes the CDC recommendation uh, for, uh, for vaccination in patients with primary immunodeficiency disorders so the main things i have highlighted in yellow that needs to be remembered so with humoral uh, defects if anyone has skid uh, sorry not skid severe uh, antibody deficiency cvid common variable immunodeficiency or the main thing to remember is effectiveness of any vaccine is uncertain in these patients And if these people are given IVIG, that again is another factor that can interfere with the immune response to vaccine. Contraindicated vaccines for these patients are most of the live vaccine because with CVID as we know we just reviewed it that both B-cell and T-cell lines are uh, affected. So most of the live vaccines are contraindicated. So something that we need to review when if we come across such patients with less severe antibody deficiencies. uh, All vaccines are usually effective. However, uh, again, live vaccines is something that needs to be. contraindicated, or that needs to be reviewed if they can be. It can be given in such patients or not. Uh, when it comes to T cell defect, uh, again, we already we know like uh, with complete defects, such as SKID and Dijot syndrome, uh, and even the partial defects of T cell uh, production, all live vaccines are contraindicated in these patients. We can go ahead and give the inactivated vaccines because most of the time they do have uh, B cell response. So vaccines, uh, inactivated vaccines should be effective. But again, it depends on the degree of immunosuppression. And then specifically the uh, one of the uh, one, one of the things that were mentioned in particular is the interferon gamma deficiency. For these patients, the one thing that needs to remem- be remembered is live bacterial vaccines are contraindicated because they are not able to mount the response and especially uh, we, dis- uh, we uh, reviewed that patient uh, where like they can have disseminated mycobacterial and disseminated, basically disseminated infections. So something to keep in mind. When it comes to complement deficiencies, all uh, routine vaccinations are likely effective. There is no contraindication uh, For phagocytic uh, defects uh, in chronic granulomatous diseases, again, live bacterial vaccines are contraindicated. Live viral vaccines are pretty good. Inactivated vaccines are also uh, okay to give. With phagocytic defects, uh, all inactivated vaccines should be okay but we do uh, we do avoid the live vaccines for these patients as well so these are my references and uh, thank you so much for giving me your time i would be open to any questions or anything uh, you would like to add